If you haven't experienced all that the Minnesota Horse and Hunt Club has to offer, you're missing out. Located in Prior Lake, Minnesota, with pheasant hunting and dog training 30 minutes from the Minneapolis Metro. The Horse and Hunt Club has full memberships available now and so much to offer. Besides upland bird hunting year-round, they're open seven days a week. Trigger's Bar and Grill has awesome food and great drink specials. Sunday brunch is always a favorite, plus live music and events are going on all the time. Bring your friends and try one of the heated sporting clay stands this winter. Go to horseandhunt.com for more information. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Minnesota Bound podcast, the stories behind the stories. I'm Laura Sherry, your host for today. And today we are joined by Dr. Jenny Morber, who is a science journalist based in the Pacific Northwest, my former home base, one of home bases. And uh, her work can be found in publications such as Glamour, National Geographic, Nova, and more. And today, uh, Dr. Morber is here to chat with us about why we must protect the world's quietest places. And I feel like I should almost whisper that. Jenny, welcome to the Minnesota Bound Podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me today. Well, I am thrilled you're joining us. And I randomly reached out to you, which is a true story. I found your article um, you wrote for Yale Environment 360. And it was a fascinating article about the efforts going on to protect some of our world's quietest destinations. And on Minnesota Bound, and of course, we're home-based in Minnesota, um, we are passionate about protecting our natural resources. And we often talk about uh, wetlands, wildlife habitat, lakes, rivers, streams, et cetera. But we rarely talk about the ongoing efforts of conservation efforts of quiet places. And you in your article had mentioned um, the boundary waters in Minnesota. And uh, we will get to that conversation. But I first wanted to chat with you about your interest in and passion around these quiet destinations and like where are all these places? Because they are globally. It's not just within the United States. Yeah, that's right. They're everywhere, just everywhere. And I think anyone who has really been outside and loves being outside can probably remember a moment when like just the world just kind of stopped and they could hear the sounds of the water and maybe the birds and the trees around them. And I think those moments are so special. Like we just feel them on a deep level. And um, so part of what um, I am really interested in is trying to make sure that people keep being able to have these moments. Um, I think we maybe a lot of us have had the experience too, where we've been out like enjoying our solitude and all of a sudden like there's a big commotion of people or there's a lot of like really loud um, rambunctious people around us and it, it it just not that I you did, don't love people but sometimes you just want to be alone in nature and just feel feel that peace um, and it turns out that it's really important um, for us to be able to have those moments, it's good for our uh, our mental health. It's good for our physical health. Um, so yeah, so I just I want everyone to be able to have kind of that specialness and for it to be preserved. That is so <clears throat> true. The words you are speaking, I um, you know, if we think about even stepping into the our backyards, the amount of noise that we hear from leaf blowers to airplanes going overhead to the dull noise of a highway far away. Um, finding real quiet places is rather challenging. And 
you mentioned in your article about Olympic National Park in Washington State, and I had the pleasure of going there with my boyfriend, Dan. Uh, we went there last summer, and you were specifically speaking of um, the rainforest there. And we found ourselves, because all of our national parks, as we know, are getting more and more popular, which is great. We want people to step out into nature, but at the same time, it's harder to find those remote places where it is void of human noise. And we found that we would get up and be on the road because Olympic National Park is huge. (laughs) So we'd be on the road at 5 a.m. to be the first people on the trail so we could get that experience of just hearing the waterfalls or the birds waking up. And it's complete silence. And there's something so special about those moments that they are treasure because they are really hard to find. They really are. And being such visual creatures, I think we tend to really think about and prioritize, you know, things that we could see our visual environment. But what we maybe have forgotten about is the importance of our auditory environment, like you were you were talking about. And um, like Olympic National Park, I don't know if you made it to the quietest square inch. You kind of have to know how to get there. It's a little secret place tucked away in the woods. And there's a little red rock on a log that that uh, tells you you're there. Um, but even that amazing place yeah. now now there are um, growler jets that go over. So I don't know if you heard them while you were there, but um, in, in about six hours of hiking time, it's estimated that you'll hear about an hour's worth of jet traffic um, from the military base. And so I really think it's something that, you know, as our population increases and as more and more people go out, uh, we need to think about preserving these auditory spaces as well as these spaces that we experience visually. And how, I know that there's coalitions and efforts happening, um, and I'd love to hear about those. And how are they going about silencing these places? Because I would think it would be rather challenging, specifically with air traffic or also with just human chatter or river noise, et cetera. Where, where are these or these um efforts happening? And how are they going about getting, making sure that we're preserving quiet places? Yeah, there's a lots of different ways. Um, from in Muir Woods, they literally just put out signs asking people to be more quiet. And they found that, you know, people responded. And because the trails became more quiet, the wildlife moved in closer to the trail. So people could actually see and experience more wildlife um, just because they weren't making as much noise. Um, there are nonprofits. There's a group called the National Parks Conservation Association, which tries to uh, work with um, you know, regulation, work with um, tourism agencies. Um, that's one way. I know for the Growler Jets, there's an advocacy group that has actually filed a lawsuit um, against the Navy saying that the Navy is not you know, doing due diligence to preserve this quiet. And um, I, I don't know the specifics of the lawsuit, but you know, legal avenues is another way. Um, but this is happening all over the world where people are starting to think about this. Um, in, in Europe, European Union has used regulation. They have this um, environmental noise directive that sets out specific goals for noise levels and exposures across Europe. And then um, privately, there are people who are working to kind of 
create these little quiet sanctuaries, um, even within really busy urban areas like Tokyo, um, they create um, an environment and try to do some sound um, silencing, was sound um, isolation is the word I was looking for, isolation, so that even in a really loud, busy area, there are kind of auditory sanctuaries where people can go and experience quiet and meditate and calm their nerves. That is incredible. And there's also, you mentioned a, a nonprofit that's called Quiet Parks International. Right, right. Yeah. Quiet Parks International is a really neat organization. And their idea is um, they will go to places in the U.S. and then actually all over the world and set up their sound equipment and try to um, find places that they can designate as quiet areas. And it's a very scientific process. Um, it's like a three-day process in which they find some of the quietest places um, in the world and in the U.S., um, Gordon Hempton, I work um, pretty closely with him. He's almost become a friend. Um, uh, he is, I think, I believe, the founder of Quiet Parks International. So they have been working to um, designate national parks and areas like boundaries, boundary waters, and others. Um, Great Sand Dunes is another one. I believe Death Valley is another one that's been flagged. Um, but the very first wilderness quiet park, so this is a quiet park that meets like the very highest standards they designated a few years ago in the Ecuadorian Amazon. Really? And I believe, were you just, did you just travel there? I did. I did. I, um, I was so excited to be able to go there. Uh, it was quite a journey. Um, but he, um, Gordon Hempton, has contacts with the local indigenous uh, people there, um, the Kofan people. And Randy Borman um, is the leader. And we were, I uh, got up a group of eight women. It was an all-women group. And we so cool. traveled, it was so cool. And we we traveled to the that wilderness quiet park, to that incredibly quiet place, um, and got to experience it. And Quiet Parks International believes that once they designate quiet areas, that people will want to come there and experience that quiet. And it'll be a special kind of visitor or of tourist, people who really value um, value those quiet experiences and will work to conserve them. And, um, and by conserving those quiet areas, it conserves so much more. It conserves the land. Um, it, you know, requires people kind of have low impact travel and stay. And so I got to kind of experience that firsthand. And the Kofan people, um, you know, they they are always looking for ways to be able to have enough money to support the community, but not sell off this gorgeous Amazon land for things like palm oil or oil extraction. Um, and so this is one of the ways they hope to be able to make enough money to live and yet, you know, keep their land pristine. So I have to ask you, how many hours did it take to get to this destination? I mean, it, this must be obviously planes and then probably a bus ride and then also an extensive hike into <laughs> this area. Like, how, how did you get there? Or how yeah, long it was, I, I would say not hours, but days. Um, wow. we, <laughs> we, you know, we took our time and enjoyed the trip. But um, just to kind of give you an idea, we flew into Quito and spent the night nearby. And then we were on a van for, I believe, four days until we got um, to the coast, um, to a river. 
And then we took a motorized boat several hours um, up the river. And then we had non-motorized transport um, to this area. So it really, it really was remote. And I will tell you, it was, it was a unique experience. The, you know, the rivers were full of piranha and wow. uh, there were giant spiders everywhere. Oh my goodness. I know. I, I told them, I was like, well, I don't know how many tourists are going to want to come here because, <laughs> because there really are a lot of spiders. Um, and that site was, um, we camped out. They have a village nearby with, you know, with flushing toilets and everything. So um, for people who aren't into the full uh, camping experience, but um uh, but yeah, so that was that was a bit of a shock for us Western ladies. Um, but honestly, gosh, it was so beautiful. Um, we had an experience where we canoed down this you know small river, and it's really where the Amazon River starts, the tributary. So the water is just ink black because it's wow. been soaking in vegetation. You have these just vines that trail down. Um, all around you are like you have toucans, you have like these brightly colored kingfishers, you have these like really weird birds that like dive into the water. Um, apparently there's pink dolphins. We never got to see any. There's mm. monkeys everywhere. Um, it's just such a special place. I feel so grateful and that I was able to visit. And I'm just so glad that the people there really cherish it too, because on the way there, we drove through a lot of land that had been converted um, into other uses. And it was just night and day, the difference um, between, you know, that that pristine Amazon rainforest and then, you know, like the palm oil plantations that we drove through to get there. So true. I can only imagine the difference. And, you know, the the power of tourism can be Wonderful if it's done, of course, in this type of manner where I'm mm-hmm. assuming at a leave no trace policy when you are exiting with your campsites and all of those things. Uh, um, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. But to to sit in a space like that that has been so remote for so long and you become um, the visitor. I love that where it's not been touched by man and you're kind of stepping into someone else's world that belongs to them and not you in a way, um, I always think is so special because, you know, the wildlife and such are not quite so used to humans. So as you had mentioned, they um, show up mm-hmm. and you get to observe and you get to see the curiosities of our environment and how it all works so seamlessly. Um, and us humans have a tendency to to put disruption into those seamless um, environmental nature harmonies, if you will, but it's really fun to observe those when they haven't really been touched. Um, yeah, yeah. it's really special to see how it all works together. It was special. And, you know, something that I noticed when I was out there, we had a time when it was understood that no one would talk and we would just listen. And Mm. I did, I, yeah, I did hear a lot of noises, but I found that like, I would see new things too. Um, I tend to be a, a chatty person and I enjoy chatting with my friends. And I, I realized that at that moment I was forced to just observe. And uh, so I heard, like I could hear all the sounds of nature, but I also saw new things. I had been in this space for so long, but I was like, oh my gosh, look at that plant. Oh, look, there's a butterfly. Um, you know, so it made it that kind of that much more special. Um, and those are really the, 
the kind of moments that I remember thinking back to that experience. I know. Isn't that incredible when you kind of sit in silence and, um, I always think it's such a powerful, it's, it has to be a skill for some people because again, uh, humans are so social and we're used to chatting and, and things. But one of the, the things I love about going out in the middle of nowhere, you know, if we're out in South Dakota hiking or turkey hunting or whatever, any of these hiking destinations, when you go out early in the morning and you see a sunrise, you see the world wake up mm-hmm. and it's so good for our souls to hear those sounds, but also to be able to sit in stillness and be kind of centered and calm in moments of stillness is so good for your central nervous system. And oh yeah, all of those things that people have a hard time sitting in stillness because of their thoughts and the thoughts that always go on and on and on. But when you sit out in nature in places like this, your attention goes to nature and you're able to sit with your stillness, which I think is such a powerful thing for each human to be able to do. Oh yeah, it definitely is. And it really is hard to do, isn't it? Um, it can um, be. Yeah. 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 I've, I've done it before I forced myself and I think it took 15 minutes where I wasn't like, Oh, I want to, I want to look at my phone. Oh, I need to do this. Oh, there's something that needs to be done. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. But when you, when people, when you do do it, it has such huge benefits. Um, you just, gosh, you just feel better. Um, your mental health gets better. There's, there's science showing that time spent in quiet places has real measurable physical and mental health benefits. I believe it. I, when we, get out on a trail. Um, my boyfriend, Dan and I, we used to live in Bellevue, Washington. And so of course, you know, uh, Pacific Northwest is stunning and has Mm -hmm. incredible trail systems. And you also are probably very familiar with how busy they are. If you are not there at the crack of dawn, you're not going to get a parking space and you actually might be waiting in line to go up the trail because there's that many people on it. <laughs> yeah, it feels which, so wrong. It does, which I <laughs> am a big advocate of getting people outdoors and hiking and exercising and all the things, but um, it becomes, there's a traffic jam of humans, which is fine, but that's when you start to get up very, very early and hit the trail first. And there's something so special um, that you just feel this weight lifted off your shoulders when you go in and it's so quiet and you feel like you're out there all by yourself. And, um, it does just lift your spirit in a way that cannot be described until you just go out and do it. Um, yeah. Yeah. So Gordon Hempton, Gordon Hempton believes that it has something to do with our kind of pre writing selves where, um, like, you know, earlier humans really had to focus on the auditory environment in order to like, know if, trouble was coming, if there was a threat to, um, you know, be able to find food. Um, and so it's, I really think whether or not that is the primary driver, there really does seem to be some like deep brain thing where when we are alone and we can't hear another person, it's, it's just so wonderful and healing. I 100% believe that. I think there are, you know, if we go back to our primal selves and we talk about humans as storytellers and we all love to share a story and that's what connects us. But that storytelling goes back to our caveman days where they're writing stories on cave walls. Mm -hmm. And to think that the silence and being able to hear was a primal instinct of survival, I believe is very true because if you look at 
uh, wildlife habitat, when it gets really windy out, they don't like it. Um, prey animals specifically don't like it. So, um, because they get spooked because they can't hear. So, wow. uh, that would make sense that we would also rather have when we can hear in those silent moments that there is some sort of stress that is subconscious that is lifted off our shoulders when we can just hear clearly. Right, right. Yeah. And you make a good point there too. The difference between quiet and silence. Um, some people, when I talk about this, think that I mean silence and they say, oh, you should go to one of those anarchaic chambers where you, you know, literally can't hear anything because all the sounds are absorbed. And I, I haven't yet been to one of those, but from what I read, like it's actually a really stressful experience for a lot of people because like the ability, like they cannot hear anything. So um, that's not, I don't think that's what we want. We don't want silence because what does that mean? There's like no living things around us that we can hear, like there's something wrong. Uh, people talk about how they can hear their heartbeat and how it becomes almost maddening. Um, it really is that ability to kind of hear the natural sounds around us that I think is so important. Yes, the waterfalls, the crunching of the leaves, the birds singing, all of those right, things yeah. um, are so special. I want to give a shout out to our friends at Connecticut. Man, this is the winter that kind of has not been 50 degrees outside and it's like the end of january it should be 28 below zero the point is we're getting up to the cabin and the cabin means connecticut water in the woods you know a year ago we were lucky enough to add connecticut water at the cabin and what a difference really for as long as i can remember we dealt with that stinky foul well water but after a painless four-hour installation we had Connecticut soft water and also Connecticut's K5 drinking system. No more bottled water. Try and make that early morning coffee before getting out in the boat. Just great drinking water right out of the K5 tap. Our laundry, it no longer smells funny. And Connecticut water cleaned up the showers and the dishes. The world's most efficient worry-free water system. Visit Connecticut.com to find a dealer near you and join the Connecticut family. We'd like to thank our friends at Lakes Gas. Hey there, Bill Shirk, the man about the woods. Propane, it's clean, efficient fuel produced right here in the United States. Schedule your propane service with a friend. Lakes Gas, a family-owned provider serving the upper Midwest for more than 60 years. 54 convenient locations in Minnesota and Wisconsin, now with offices in North Dakota and South Dakota, too. Lakes Gas employees live in the communities they serve, so you can expect personalized service from professionals. Oh, and the Lakes Gas offers competitive pricing without all the extras that tend to drive up fuel prices. Safe, dependable service. Lakes Gas the right choice for your home, business, or farm. Visit lakesgas.com and join the family. There's nothing quite like Minnesota winter. Whether you want to try ice fishing, ice skating, or ice boating, make sure you know the risks and how to play it safe on the ice. Measure ice thickness frequently and never go out alone. Always wear your life jacket or a float coat and have ice picks readily accessible in case you fall through. Playing on the ice can be fun, but it's never 100% safe. Learn how you can play safe before you go out. Safety is always in season. A message from the Minnesota DNR. Where are 
you know, how many, I guess, let's see here, how, like approximately how many places on our planet globally are designated as having the opportunity to be quiet places? Yeah. There- so um, I think, I think it's around 260, maybe, maybe more than that, maybe more like 300 now that Quiet Parks International at least has flagged. And um, I don't think, I don't think that they have yet gone and done the in-depth investigation of each of these, but each of them meets some kind of criteria for either being a quiet place or having the, you know, having the propensity or having the uh, possibility of becoming a designated quiet place. And out of those, did you say 200 some about? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe 260 to 300. 260 to 300. How many of those Mm -hmm. are in the United States? Do we have like a... Oh, that's a good question. That's a good question. I don't know if I have the answer for you right now, Um, but a lot of them are. I'm trying to see if I can look up (laughs) the Quiet Parks International. I'll tell you what, if your readers want to like know where these are and see them, Quiet Parks International, um, their website has a map. And sometimes in my free time, I will go there and just kind of look all around that map and say, oh, look at this place. And oh, look at this place. And people from all over the world can... Um, try to nominate um, a place as one of the quiet places. And so, uh, gosh, um, and but in the United States, I would say that there's at least, oh, quite a few, at least, you know, 50 places. I'm probably just making this up, but I was, <laughs> there's no, a lot. It's, it's, you know, and the listeners can go, like you said, look up Quiet Parks International. Um, I, I think that's a great place to start if you, I'm, I'm already thinking, like, I'm going to have to put some of these on my list to go visit Right. Um, you had mentioned in your article, I um, wish I have not been to the Great Sand Dunes National Park in Colorado. Mm-hmm. Have you yeah, been to that? The great, have you been there? Did, did I haven't. No, I, I would love to go. It looks beautiful. Well, when you go, there's something that I've always wanted to experience. And apparently if you go um, like really early morning or late at night when there's no one else there, it's so quiet that like the measurement devices like can't even read it. And there's a phenomenon that happens sometimes if you catch the wind moving through the sand just right, it can hit a note that sounds like a cello. Really? Yes. <laughs> well, that is cool. How cool is that? Oh my goodness. Yes. I'll put that one on my list for sure. Uh-huh. And um, I always think when you think about the numbers, you know, people assume, oh, we have so many national parks in our country and um how could there not just be quiet places within those parks? And I, when I was reading your article, you were mentioning the number of visitors that our national parks get. And then you realize, which again, I am so thankful that people are um, spending time getting outdoors. We, we don't want to take that away, but you had mentioned that there are just in 2019. So I'm sure this number has grown significantly since COVID, but the, there was 327 Point five million visitors to our national parks in 2019. Yeah, that's right. That's right. 2019 was actually a peak so far. I, I checked those numbers and it's gone down. Yeah, it's gone down a little since uh, the pandemic. I believe the last number I saw for 2023 was 312 million. Um, but definitely those numbers are recovering. And like you say, like I love that people are out in our national parks and recreating 
Um, if anything, maybe we should, you know, expand them and give people a little bit more, you know, space or or help direct people to places that, you know, don't get quite as many visitors. But there are some that are really, really kind of just almost overrun with people. Um, I know that um, Yellowstone has huge numbers. Um, the Grand Canyon, I believe, is one of the most visited parks. Um, I actually went to the Channel Islands National Park um, a couple years ago. I believe that's the least visited national park, um, but probably because it's difficult to get to. We went out on a boat and three of the people I was with were on the floor with, with seasickness on oh, the way there. <laughs> that's off the coast of California. Um, it's um, like a four hour boat ride, I believe, from Santa Barbara. Oh, Wow. Yeah, yeah that'll I highly recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> Bring your Dramamine. Yeah, um, right. What is it like at that national park? What's the terrain like? Oh, yeah. So it's it's pretty um, kind of deserty and dry um, with, you know, just surrounded by the gorgeous Pacific Ocean. Um, there are some really unique species there. There's a species of fox that has um, kind of branched off from all the other um, species of fox. So it's a very special um, animal. Um, I believe that's the way for some plants. It's just kind of rocky and dry, uh, kind of deserty um, background. The real the real show is in the water. Uh, I did a lot of snorkeling around there. Oh my gosh, there's just gorgeous kelp forest and giant, you know, tropical looking fish. Uh, we even saw some sea otters playing down there, which was amazing. Um, sunfish in the water, dolphins that would came out and swam all around us. It, it was, it was oh, quite a show. That is incredible. I know it's, um, we have so many national parks and people, you know, you automatically think of the big ones like Zion national park, you mentioned Yellowstone, et cetera, but, um, all of them have such beauty to offer. And when you go to visit, you realize, oh, I understand why they, they certainly, um, turn this into a national park. They're even going to the San Juan islands. Um, some of the national parks over in that area, which is the very Western Northwestern part of, uh, the United States. There's some really unique parks over there. And, um, I saw a black Fox, which apparently was really rare, um, that oh. lives on the Island. And it, that fox came out to say hello and was just sitting on a ledge. And I thought I felt um, that I had a really unique moment there because apparently they're very rare. But that was my unique wildlife sighting on that one. Um, wow. So it is fun to look up and try to travel to some of these lesser known national parks. And yeah, yeah. I highly, I highly recommend it. Um, I think that, that being in places where there aren't huge numbers of people and that, you know, people, don't often get to experience makes for a really kind of unique trip and a unique experience for people. And maybe it'll help spread out, spread out the human load a little bit in some of the more popular ones. Exactly. Do you know of, you know, sometimes not all of us are very well versed in hiking and being outdoors and it can make some people nervous if you're new to it. Are there organizations, and I know there's a lot of, of course, tour companies in a lot of the bigger parks, which those are easy to find. But when you're really looking to kind of branch out into more remote places, I think it's harder to find mm -hmm. necessarily a tour company, even if it's a small business that is willing to take you out. Is there like a website or a place that you know of that has a great, I guess, library or access to get some good tour guides in some of these more remote national parks? 
Yeah, yeah, that's a really great question. I I definitely think that it's a kind of an under underutilized um, niche in the hiking and travel. Quiet Parks International again is a good place to start, but um, I have found some like in the Washington area where I live, some local companies that specially put together quiet hikes and quiet trips. So they do exist. And um, those, I think those are really special because when you go on those, you're with, you know, kind of like-minded people um, who are also looking for that experience. I would definitely say uh, just look around in your area and see if there is a group that is willing to do that for you or if that is their business model. Or I have seen um, people on Facebook groups just say, hey, you know, this is an interest of mine. Would you like to go out with us and experience this? Um, Washington Hikers Group um, is a really um, very heavily populated Facebook group. But I have seen people make a call for, hey, you know, I really want to go out kind of backcountry, um, find some new places. Would you like to come with me and experience that together? So I, I definitely think there are ways to do it. Uh, you just have to you just have to look around a little. Yes, don't be afraid to dig around on um, the internet. The Facebook groups are a great way to start. I have not myself um, have not hopped on Quiet Parks International, and I 100% am going to do that because um, I do have, as I'd mentioned, um, admiration for really quiet places. And uh, of course, Minnesota, we are proud to have one of our own quiet destinations, the Boundary Waters Canoe Area. Have you been to the Boundary Waters yet? Is it on your list? It's on my list. I haven't been, but I have to say it looks beautiful. It is beautiful. If you um, happen to travel to Minnesota, please let me know. Um, we could go on a canoe trip together, but um, oh, it's a really, really special place. And um, they have also done some work on making sure that the noise population is held, uh, pollution, excuse me, not population, noise pollution is held to a minimum um, there in the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness Act of 1978. Are you familiar yeah, with that? Yeah, I, I'm just so impressed with the work and advocacy that's been done around that area. Uh, clearly, it is just something that is really precious to the, especially of the people of Minnesota and everyone who has visited it. Um, I The regulations where they restrict the number of people, the number of boats, and have certain areas for motorboats, are, I think, kind of just a model of how to marry both the desire to encourage people and make sure that you have open access to nature and yet kind of keep it pristine and to, to, to really think about conservation and, and not degrading the experience and, and the wildlife and the, the land. So true. Do you have any advice for... Oops. There went my water bottle. <laughs> uh, <laughs> speaking of not quiet, uh, do you have any advice for those of us that are going out um, on just mindfulness of our when we're out on some in some national parks or just on a hiking trail or any of those situations where we could all do our own part to keep the experience a little bit more enjoyable for everyone? Yeah, yeah. Um well, first of all, I will say I have two kids and they are just like never quiet. So, you know, um, do the Terrible best thing. you can do. Right. Yes. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, just getting them outside to me is a win. Um, yes. But if, if you want to have that experience, I, I say um, just first of all, just communicate it to the people you were with to say, hey, you know, how about for the next 30 minutes, hour, just we try to speak as little as possible and just really hear what's going on. Um, so really on any trail, there are times when you can find yourself in quiet. And then the second thing is to try to look for um, maybe the trails are a little off the beaten path. You know, the ones that don't have the giant waterfall that everyone wants to see or you know, um, just there's always a hundred trails that people aren't on because everyone's drawn to the most popular ones. And I say that those are the real gems because you can you can find this wonderful experience and find quiet and find secret little treasures there that other people don't experience. So um, it doesn't necessarily require like going off into the wilderness and, and you know, maybe getting lost. Um, just try to find those trails and those areas where maybe other people just aren't paying attention. Another way to do that, um, I have found that in this day of the Internet, uh, to get an old school uh, hiking, like a book, like an actual paper book, uh, because a lot of times the trails in there um, have been forgotten. And because they're not being publicized on you know Instagram and on Facebook and friends aren't talking about it, um, those those are still there, but maybe just not as populated with people. Ah, great idea. Hi, everybody. Ron Shera here again with another nifty story. This one about my favorite bank, the story of Starbank. There's 10 of them in Minnesota, but here's where the plot thickens. A star bank is more than money. A star bank cares, cares about its customers, cares about the community, whether it's town parades or the kids' baseball team. Why? Because star banks are locally owned. They treat you right. Quite a tale, wouldn't you say? How do I know? Because Star Bank is also our bank at Ron Share Productions. Just another story with a happy ending. Star Bank, the bank that cares. Member FDIC. To learn more online, go to star.bank. Well, Dr. Morbert, thank you so much for joining the Minnesota Bound podcast. I truly appreciate you sharing um, all the efforts going on to protect our natural resources in those quiet places. Um, is there anything else you would love to share about quiet destinations and how important they are with our listeners? Oh, well, I tell you, it has been such a pleasure. Um, let's see. The only thing I can think of is maybe we should come up with like a special, like, you know, um, motion. So when we pass each other, we can like recognize the people who, <laughs> who want to have quiet experiences. I was just thinking about, um, <laughs> how we can recognize each other in the forest. Um, exactly. Well, you know, Jeep, anybody who has a Jeep, they have the Jeep wave. Maybe we need some sort of like quiet park wave. Quiet wave, you know, um, that would be fantastic. If that's something that I started and became a trend, I, I would love that so much. Um, the only thing is, let's see, I'm, I'm excited because I'm working on a book proposal where yes, I, um, right. Yeah, where I travel all over the world trying to find the quietest places and hopefully take the readers with me on my adventures. Um, I always end up having, you know, humorous mishaps and and finding things like, you know, pooping next to giant spiders. Um, and so maybe they can come, maybe they can come <laughs> with me from the comfort of their, you know, of their homes or their backyards. 
um, really looking forward to that. So if your listeners have places that you think that I really must visit, please let me know. Um, I would love to hear more about their quiet spaces and their experiences. I love getting mail in which people can connect about, about their quiet experiences. I love that. Where can our listeners find you? Yeah, um, feel free to email me um, at my business site. So that's my name, Jenny Morber, that business at Gmail. Awesome. Well, I can tell you, Jenny, when you get to um, the Boundary Waters Canoe Area in Minnesota, we don't have giant spiders, but what we do have are deer flies that will bite you nonstop. Uh, okay. <laughs> so growing up, my sister and I, my dad is a... Um, avid outdoorsman. He's the one who started Minnesota Bound and is a big conservationist. So our rite of passage growing up, my, both my sister and I, we had to take trips to the Boundary Waters as young girls. And he took us separately. And um, being the avid outdoorsman that my dad is, he's always kind of pushed the limits a little bit on probably the extensiveness of trips for our, our age. And, you know, of course we thank him for all that now because both my sister and I are big outdoor advocates and we're adventurous and we take big trips and are not really afraid of trying new remote destinations. But at the time when you're 13 um, <laughs> and you're in the laundry waters for a week and it's raining every single day and you're portaging canoes and you're just being eaten alive by mosquitoes and deer flies, um, you're kind of thinking like life is is rather miserable. <laughs> but looking back, um, you realize how special of a place that it really is and how um, unique the experience is. And it's really good to carry heavy things and have to, you know, fish for your food and, you know, campfires and all those things. But um, yeah, no big spiders, but definitely if you are, um, have a bug net or uh, organic bug spray, what have you, you'll want to bring that with you. That's my All right, good to know. <laughs> I am forward. I honestly hearing that experience, I think you would do just fine in the Amazon. I think you'd be just fine. Awesome. <laughs> I know. I love. I mean, that experience sounds incredible. I um yeah, I I'm going to look up the Quiet Parks International just to yeah. see um, some of these destinations and put them on my list because um Olympic National Park was pretty spectacular in some of those really quiet spots early in the morning. Um, and you can just, the scent of the wood uh, that time of year is also just oh, spectacular. Yeah. So the sound and the smell together was just uh, heavenly. So, yeah, well, let me know if you end up going and maybe we can do, uh, you know, a quiet meetup sometime. I think that would be super yes. fun. I would love that. I would, um, I'd love to bring uh, the, a cameraman along with for Minnesota Bound. That would be a great uh, story so people can visually hear the quietness um, themselves. It's hard to to relay the message just from speaking about how wonderful it is, let alone when you can share some really quiet video of what it's really like in those destinations. I would love that. Oh yeah, that sounds fantastic. Let's let's try to make that happen. Perfect. Well, thank you again for joining us on the podcast, and I look forward to uh, meeting up with you on a on a quiet trail someday. Yeah, that sounds lovely. Thank you so much, Laura. It's been a pleasure. Once again, thank you to Dr. Jenny Morber. And also thanks to our sponsors, Minnesota Horse and Hunt Club, Connecticut, Lakes Gas, Star Bank, and Minnesota DNR. Remember, introduce a kid to the great outdoors. Mm -hmm.